Honestly, if there's one thing that keeps me uh, getting up in the morning, it's to do this podcast with you, Madison. David Cunliffe remains about as popular in the Labour caucus as a pussycat at Gareth Morgan's house. Look, this is a la-la budget. When my eyebrow goes up, it's a joke. The police still arrest criminals in New Zealand. We've tried cannabis prohibition for the past 40 years. The fact is, that was a boring, useless speech. Zip it, sweetie, I'm getting there. Mr. Speaker, they say a week is a long time in politics. Kia ora and welcome back to the Iron Duke podcast, your weekly recap of all things policy and politics, where Byron and I run you through our peaks and our pits, interesting bits and anything that fits from Aotearoa and around the globe. I'm Maddie Burgess-Smith and with me is Senior Consultant Byron Terrace. Hello, it's wonderful to be back for another week of the Iron Duke podcast and frankly what an episode we have for you today. We're going to talk uh, a little bit about what's going on in the rural sector. We're going to also cover a, th- a few things that are happening with the blue team, yet again, because there's just so much happening on that side of politics. We'll be talking about the price of a flat white uh, and th- where that's off to. And Pfizer's new medication. And to top it off, we've got a really interesting interview with Nicola Nation, the CEO of the Arkina Foundation, who's going to run us through how we could best be spending our dollar dues ahead of the Christmas season. Sounds good, Maddie. Kick us off. What's your pick of the week? Medsave has just approved uh, Pfizer's new oral... Uh, anti- <laughs> Don't laugh. <laughs> Why did you emphasise oral? Because it doesn't go in your arm. Just say it's a pill. Because <laughs> it doesn't go in your arm. <laughs> Shit. So Pfizer, as you all know from your most recent vaccine card, they're the little, they're the little company. <laughs> the little company worth a few billion dollars. It's a little startup from the United States. Uh, okay, Pfizer have come out with a pill that um, is said to be pretty good at combating the symptoms of the COVID-19 virus. So the government of New Zealand have ordered 60,000 of these. So if you want one, better get in quick because it's not enough for everyone. But it is exciting. It shows that not only is technology evolving and, and, our, and our medical care and systems surrounding that, that our, our response is is accepting that, hey, COVID's going to be with us now. Pfizer's pill is actually quite interesting because we've already bought uh, another one from Merck. Uh, and another one that I can't pronounce because it's a very Mercedes Benz. That's not quite, um, but it's not quite the Mercedes Benz. If, okay, if that pill is the Mercedes Benz, then the one you're talking about is the Rolls freaking Royce of yes. pills. This pill, in its initial trials, proved to be so effective they stopped the trials early to apply for emergency use because they knew it worked so well. That's exciting. And look, we are getting pretty close to ten thousand cases of of Delta. Altogether, not right now. At the same time, not at the same time. But the the accumulative case numbers um, are starting to ramp up, and for me, this is exciting. It's the government signalling that we're moving on to the next stage of how we manage the virus, and it signals getting closer to the end of the pandemic, which I've called to be April twenty twenty two. Log it, log it right here. There it is. There's the prediction. What's your pick of the week? My pick of the week is one for our rural community, and that's high commodity prices for our agricultural products. So Fonterra, you know, many of you may have seen in the news, you know, RNZ have done some pretty decent reporting on this. Farmer Co-op has revised its forecast milk price range for the current season with a record-breaking midpoint of $8.70 a kilogram of milk solids. A milk check that large would beat the previous highest price of $8.40, which was paid out in the 2013-14 season. Milk is not the only thing that's going really well. Uh, Beef is also up uh, 16% year on year. Uh, you've got Merino up 28.4% year on year. And also for those wool growers out there uh, that for most part there's just been a cost, shearing the sheep has been a cost mm. rather than being able to make money from it. That's starting to get to a period of time where you can actually break even with your wool and sell it for a profit eventually. 
The exciting part about that is that that Fonterra payout looks like $13.2 billion going back into our rural community. Where do you think that's going to be spent? That's really important. Are farmers going to choose to spend that money that they get from a record payout on a batch, a boat, or a baler? Something that's really productive for their farm. Are they going to upgrade to a John Deere or are they just going to buy a bottle of Johnny Walker to celebrate? Mm. It's going to be really interesting to see what the farming community does. And I think there'll be a bit of a mix. It's all good money. It's all being spent back into their communities, back into the economy. Uh, But will it have productivity gains? Will this massive payout lead to more investment in kit? And will that see our farming sector actually kind of leapfrog ahead in productivity? Or will it just be the nice things? Or will they just pick up a copy of the Climate Change Commission's report and say, what out of here can now I now afford to action? Destocking. Daisy, you're in. Doris, you're out. I can now buy a shredder and shred that report. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying. Anyway, so that's 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 my peak of the week. You know, $13.2 billion injected into the economy, and that's just from that one Fonterra payout. Well, my pit of the week is quite the opposite. Big headline in Wellington News today was a local coffee roastery saying that in order for hospitality venues to be sustaining themselves, a flat white could be set to cost us around $7. You don't even drink coffee. I don't even drink coffee, but I know what that means. Now, you can totally understand this. If you're a regular coffee drinker, you know that that the price of your flat white, your medium flat white, at around $4.50, hasn't increased for some time. At the same time, rents are up, minimum wage, inflation more broadly. You've also got the cost of milk increasing. Everything in and around the ecosystem of your flat white is increasing. Not only that, but a lot of these cafes have been out of business for some time, or at least their business has been dramatically slowed as a result of COVID. So all of them are also playing catch up. As we move to a working from home model as well, you can have less foot traffic, so the margins of business are going to decrease. But yeah, this this one really grabbed my eye because I actually think it's quite reflective of how inflation is set to play out in our economy. We've talked about with uh, Brad Olson and with uh, Bryce Wilkinson uh, in past episodes about inflation, and when you when you just talk about it as some kind of ethereal idea mm. out there in the ether, you know the average Joe Bloggs walking down Courtney Place doesn't really yeah what does that what does that really mean? But I think you know yes, the price of coffee actually does uh, make sense, especially to those yeah. uh, people breathing quite hot air and uh, on Wellington and Lambton Key. I think that's uh, it's it's damaging, and I think for people at the lower end of the income scale. That has a it bites off a huge chunk of what you earn, and until that idea is well understood in the roundhouse, uh, I, th- I don't think we're going to see much action on that. I think it's also important for people to understand that the margins in hospitality businesses are paper thin as it is. So these price increases aren't about being greedy. These price increases, particularly as your patronage begins to decrease as people are working from home more, this is about staying afloat. It is. It certainly is. And it's also about protecting the vibrancy of cities. I really want to see a city, uh, it doesn't matter which city you're in, you could be in Auckland, you could be in Queenstown, you could be in Christchurch, wherever. You want to see a vibrant city. You want a vibrant city. And also, yes, guess what? Hello, tourists are going to want to come back mm. here at some point in the, you know, in the second half from the second half of next year, and they also want to come to a vibrant place. The last thing they want to do is come to a, a city where every every second cafe is shut up shop at two o'clock in the afternoon. And it comes at a time where you saw Chris Luxon over the weekend saying he'd be a supporter of increasing the minimum wage. That's in a growing be, in a growing economy. Yeah, he put a big fat caveat on that, but that's still going to be hard for businesses to hear. It is, and considering minimum wage has been rising at one of the fastest rates. And that takes me really nicely. What a wonderful segue, wonderful segue. Uh, into my pit of the week. Vibrant economies? No, my pit of the week is this latest reshuffle that uh, the opposition has done, the blue team have done, the National Party has done. 
the reason it's a the reason it's a pit, and I know there's been a lot of media attention on this, and there's new faces at the front, and yes, it's the you know the big reset, the rise of the libs, yeah, the rise of the libs, and you know all of them are in the f-ing top ten. It's great, um, but one thing for me is what is the National Party's kind of core piece? Right, okay, so they are usually seen as the stewards of the economy. Um, sure, Simon Bridges, a very capable politician, um, one of the most formidable. Uh, in the house for those who love the Beltway. He is in charge of finance. That's great. But, you know, who's the economic development mind in there? Who's got the economic development portfolio? It's David Bennett who Mm -hmm. sits at number 20. And it's pretty far down in the shadow cabinet. Um, I always love the term shadow cabinet. It sounds sounds like some kind of, yeah, sounds like some kind of of vampires sitting on the other side there just sucking taxpayer money out. Um, So he's sitting down at number 20, and I think that's a little bit of a waste of that portfolio. Do you think it's telling of what they see the government's current strengths and priorities in being and that they've put their real talent, their debating talent, in and around those portfolios? Because we're not hearing much of an economic development push from anyone inside cabinet. Look, I, I'm really disappointed. Another one that I'm really disappointed about is tourism. So that mm-hmm. sector is absolutely uh, wrecked from closed borders. And yes, the Nats kind of bleat on a bit about small business and things like that. But tourism is one of those easy kind of political ones to go against. And you're going up against, again, Stuart Nash, not the strongest performer in the House at the moment. And you've given it to Todd McClay, who's fallen down, clearly with no parachute, and just now did splat on the floor on the, the great soup of the unranked uh, MPs inside the National Party. And he's got tourism right at the bottom there. And I would I would see that as a really you know big attack, uh, attack line for the opposition. And also one that Chris Luxon should know really well. And finally, for me, in terms of areas where I would have liked the opposition to put a little bit of pressure on the government, is in the local government space. Mm. And they've given that portfolio to one of the newbies, uh, Simon Watts. Uh, I'm sure he's a very co- competent politician and will learn to be um, you know, a very competent guy. But it just doesn't say to me that we're targeting the government's weaknesses. That says to me we need a portfolio to just give somebody. And I would have really liked to th- see that one in the top 20. Yes, I'm a bit of a local government nerd, but I just think I just think there's a lot of policy change, whether it be RMA, Three Waters, or the future of the entire existence of councils that I think the, uh, the Nats could have gone against. I agree there's a lot of wins there. Three Waters would be one that you could attack pretty hard on the in the local government portfolio. Another one they've given to a junior burger. Chris Luxon, ahead of, ahead of his meteoric rise to spot number one, actually had the local government portfolio himself. So I do see where you're coming from, but again, there's only 33 of them. I know there's only 33 of them, uh, that's, and that's, that's fine by and me. And you've got quite a few of them in the exit lounge. You do, you do. Someone with, um, yeah, the seniors' portfolio. I think, you know, there is some good news, though. You know, I, th- I think Bish deserves a spot. It's Chris Bishop uh, in number four, you know, one of the most competent performers. This sounds rude, you know. I, I just think, you know, some of those lowly ranked ones, I would have liked to see them higher. Um, not necessarily the politician who they're attached to, just their rank, just their portfolios, yeah. So that's that's why it's my pit of the week. It's a pretty, it's a pretty shallow pit as far as pits yeah, come. It is, and uh, there has been a lot of media attention and fervor around the reshuffle of the Nats. So we'll see what happens. I think just because the numbers low doesn't mean the portfolio doesn't matter. But hey, the next couple of months will tell. Exactly, and uh, I'm sure before the before the end of the year there'll be some polls out, and we'll see what Kiwis really think. On the topic of the end of the year, it's time to get shopping now. Christmas presents will be on everyone's minds, and our guest today is someone who is well-seasoned in the procurement space, be that of small gifts to stuff your stockings with or in the procurement practice of, of some of New Zealand and the world's largest businesses. We welcome Nicola Nation. 
We're joined by Nicola Nation, the Chief Executive, the newly minted Chief Executive, I should say, of the Arkina Foundation's New Zealand's premier social enterprise consultancy. Kia ora, Nicola. Kia ora, tina koutou. Welcome. It's great to have you here. You've got a background in procurement, in the public sector, in the private sector, a little bit of banking, yes. a little bit of a consulting, a little bit overseas. So tell us a bit about yourself and a little bit about the Arkina Foundation. Sure. Well, yes, starting with my procurement background, I I actually thought I'd left that behind when I joined the Arkina Foundation, but I spent about 15 odd years um, in procurement across the public and private sectors, as you say. I worked uh, in in the UK in in banking and um, government there, helping them on a counter-resilience program. So they uh, had $100 million and they were looking at how they responded to natural and catastrophic incidents such as um, 9-11 and the like. We bought decontamination chambers. uh, We bought high volume pumps. At the time, um, we were really concerned that the London Underground was going to get flooded. And I was actually working on that project on the 7th of July to 2005 when the London tourist bombings on the on the buses happened yeah so wow. I was working on that counter resilience was program there any pandemic time. resilience work that you happened <laughs> to do <laughs> no that was not part of our response planning and as, as history has, has penned out actually the the program that we built has been more useful in responding to natural incidents rather than catastrophic incidents um, perhaps links to the uh, upcoming threat of, of climate change or the ongoing threat that is climate change so anyway I was in the UK for about um, three or four years came back to New Zealand and spent a lot of time contracting in government in yep. the area of procurement. Really enjoyed the projects that were about change and then uh, realised that that was actually what was driving me, that I was wanting to change things and I enjoyed programmes that I thought were, were improving something, etc. So I was working on a really interesting piece of work at ACC, um, looking at how ACC could contract for outcomes rather than inputs. So the inputs being you go to the doctor, you go to the physio, and they charged ACC for the number of um, appointments that you came came to. And we got together and we realised that actually what we wanted was well people, and the outcome that we wanted to buy, what ACC was paying the doctors and physios for, was 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 healthy people. And so the doctors and the physios were encouraged to work together to collaborate to get these these people well and paid on that outcome. And, and absolutely loved that. However, um, it was 2017 and the social Enterprise World, For- uh, World Forum was happening in Christchurch. Christchurch, I remember that Christchurch, one well. Yep. Yes. So uh, Christchurch's largest post-earthquake uh, event, hosted by the Arkina Foundation, and I was following that online, and that looked really cool and lots of fun. And uh, Louise Aitken was um, promoted to Chief Executive from General Manager, and I thought, oh, there'll be a vacancy there. So <laughs> I just hung around on their website for a while, and a vacancy was um, advertised, and I threw That's my hat awesome. in the ring. Uh, I got the job description. I couldn't do half of it, and I was like, excellent, I'm applying for this job. I can learn on the job. <laughs> exactly. So I um, encouraged myself not to do that female thing of thinking, no, I can't do this because I can't do everything that's on this job description. And uh, yes, I, I got the role. So that was in April 2018, that was, Brilliant. just as we signed up the three-year government partnership. And then three and a half years later was, um, yeah, asked to apply for the CE role, which was very exciting. So for those people who might be listening that don't know what Arkina is, they've never heard of social enterprise as a term, they're not quite sure what it means. Mm. Please enlighten our listeners. Great question. So we are an an impact consultancy. We're a bit of a um, a social change agency and we exist to promote impact-led business, one of which, one of models, those models is social enterprise. Social enterprise um, draws on on two things that I'm really passionate about. One is the power of enterprise, the Mm -hmm. power of business and running really good businesses. And secondly, um, social and environmental change. So we work with businesses that deliver positive social and environmental outcomes through great business vehicles, so 
great businesses and great outcomes and we work with them to really understand those outcomes, understand what what it is that they are delivering, how that might link to government's goals, government's outcomes and what they can do to to amplify their impact. Awesome, so a lot of the reason we got you along, we're in the lead up to Christmas, people are buying left, right and centre, buying like crazy really. Can you talk to us a bit more around social procurement and what it means to be putting that money to good? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question Maddie. So procurement in essence is shopping, shopping at scale via corporates and social procurement is intentionally choosing to use your your corporate dollar to purchase from different types of businesses. So from from social enterprises, from Māori enterprises, community enterprises, enterprises that are delivering more than just the good or the service that you are purchasing. And that might be having a website designed, uh, something that that your corporation needs. It might be um, EVs, it might be training services, et cetera. So that the businesses that you are purchasing from are delivering more than just the good or the service that you are buying. So when we look at how government's thinking about procurement at the moment and yes. the need for broader outcomes, that's essentially what social enterprise is? Ah, so you touched on a great thing there. It's, yes, government calls social procurement broader outcomes. Arkina calls social procurement social procurement. There is a, another movement called progressive procurement. You have sustainable procurement. And we do have a bit of an issue that there are a lot of terms for spending your money in such a way that it's delivering broader outcomes or delivering additional social and environmental benefits. So we've talked a lot here about buying stuff, selling stuff, the use of markets and the power of enterprise. Yes. So some have said, you know, capitalism, capitalism's failed. So I'm hearing some pretty good stuff coming out of capitalism from from both of you. So Nicola, I put that question to you. Has capitalism failed? I think that aspects of capitalism have failed um, Byron. I think that uh, there has been a focus on shareholder return over and above anything else and a belief that uh, the, the rest will trickle down and what we can observe simply through walking down Lampton Quay is that the returns from from that have not trickled down um, it was Pope Francis I think who said that we were promised that the cup would overflow but the cup actually just keeps getting bigger. So aspects of capitalism have failed, um, there is a, a well known bill report from 2019 that talks about what shareholders are demanding but also about what stakeholders in terms of um, investors and employees are are demanding and it's that organisations do better, that they look at more than just the financial return of the work that they are doing, that they look at the social and the environmental impacts of the work that that they are doing. I think it's uh, 93% of of young New Zealanders say that they would not work for an organisation where they don't share the same values. So that's pretty pretty powerful are the ultimate stakeholders, really, because I've got to believe in the mission of, of any entity, right? That's right, and Maddie and I were just talking about this um, earlier, just how, how difficult it is to attract employees into organisations in the current environment, and that's forcing organisations to be held to account. They, they have to be able to, to stand up and, and speak to their values, which is a good thing. Goodness. One of the criticisms uh, of social enterprise that I've certainly seen in the past has been that is you know, this just greenwashing? Is this just doing what we need to do because business needs to happen and we need to do whatever it takes to make it happen? Is that what's going on in social enterprise at all? Gosh, I would hope not. So we work really, really hard to make sure that that greenwashing is is not a thing. And what Arkina does, which no one else in New Zealand does, is works with social enterprises to look under the hood. So we certify social enterprises to say this is an this is Arkina certified impact led business. And so therefore, if a corporate is buying off that business, they can have confidence that that business is not greenwashing, uh, that they are a, an impact led business. 
Those were a couple of blimmin' curly questions from you there, Byron. Mine is much easier. You know, if I'm just an everyday consumer and I'm out there this Christmas looking for gifts and things to buy for my friends yes. in Fano, what are some great social enterprises that I should be really placing a vote with with my wallet? Yes, great. Love to see you do that, Maddie. So we have certified over 100 goods and services through our social procurement program. Some of the ones that stand out for me, um, actually recently we bought Wellington's entire supply of 20 second, seconds wine wine. Um, so if you purchase 27 seconds wine, which is available at Thorndon New World and Wellington New World, Great plug. <laughs> you're also helping to fight victims of, of slavery. Uh, you can buy Duffel & Co bags. I've got one sitting right here. And when you buy that bag, you are contributing to the traditional workforce in Bali. And you are also planting mangrove trees. Duffel & Co also make uh, these amazing bags out of pineapple leather, which Very is cool. which is really cool. Pineapple leather. Yeah. For pineapple skin. Sorry, <laughs> pineapple skin. Wow. And dye it these beautiful, beautiful colours. Another product you can buy is gorgeous, beautiful candles um, from a company called Downlights who uh, provide employment opportunities for people with Down syndrome. And when you get the the Downlights candle, it comes with a QR code which you can scan and then you get the story from the family actually as well as the employee telling them about what their work means to them. And that's that's really beautiful. So you can have a little cry as as you light your candle, which is what I do. You can do that. You can get a Griffin sampler box out there, <laughs> listeners. Okay, you've got t- literally only two choices this Christmas. Yeah, that's Are there any right. Social prizes and scorched almonds, by any chance? <laughs> <laughs> Just being very particular. Oh, great! You've, you are throwing the curly questions, Byron. Uh, not that I'm aware of. Hey, well, thank you so much. What an insightful chat about something that we're all going to be doing a lot of over the next couple of weeks. And Engaging in capitalism. Engaging in capitalism. <laughs> As always with our interviewees, we finish on a quick hot or not. Right, Omicron. Oh, sorry, not. How about uh, 87.5% vaccination across the country? Very hot. And in the theme of Christmas, tinsel. Not. Why? Oh, <laughs> it's foil. It's exactly. not biodegradable. It's not, it's not socially sustainable at all. It's no. not environmentally sustainable, Maddie. I think tinsel's awful. I agree. You know, wholeheartedly with me. Hey, you take it away, you Grinch. Uh, inflatable Christmas trees. <laughs> Not. Okay, I have an inflatable Christmas tree. Exactly. I'm going to show you a picture after this. It's, it'll change your life. I guess if you, if you keep it for a long time, then sure. Forever. You're good. White bait fritters. Oh, so hot. Oh, brilliant. And lastly, for another plug of a social enterprise, <laughs> Little Yellow Bird. Hot. Brilliant. Nicola, it's been such a wonderful experience with you. Thank you so much for coming on. Kia ora. Thank you for having me. Well, listeners, thank you for another great week on the podcast. Our next episode will keep with the Christmas and holiday summer season theme. But until then, we'll we'll see see you next week. week.